Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran pianist, composer, orchestrator, and producer John Herberman. He opened up about his new 2023 CD, Spring Comes Early, that stands as his second record of original jazz tunes. Almost two years in the making, it was during that time in COVID when he decided to return to his roots and his passion for jazz of the late 50s and early 60s with the Canadian release of his first independent jazz album, Overheard on a park bench. That was in 2021. He is not widely known as a jazz musician for 35 years. He split his professional life between a successful career as a screen composer, an orchestrator and composer, producer of over 45 albums from the Solitudes and Avalon labels. We cover some solid ground in this interview. Enjoy. What's up? I'm looking forward to this. Me too, man. Yeah, it's I great to your meet show. you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Labor of love. Enjoy your interviews. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, hey, man, you, you got a lot going on right now. Spring comes early. But before that, I'm curious, how did you get through this pandemic period as an artist? And how has it changed you? And probably how, how does it feel to have an album out now? Um, my experience of COVID, uh, because I've been a freelancer all my working life, uh, working alone, yeah. um, is is that it it was a period of... Uh, of creativity and i and i really experienced that with a lot of my uh, colleagues and friends as well as um a lot of the um production work kind of slowed down um i was primarily involved in scoring for television and that kind of thing um uh these folks just returned to why they got in music in the first place and started writing for themselves and uh the quality of what they were writing instead of trying to do another action trailer um they were writing stuff that they felt and it the quality went through the roof yeah. so i i found it to be and, and i'm a bit you know sheepish about saying this but i found it to be a period of of uh increased creativity and i watched one of your interviews um with um with uh, uh jesse diecci who i don't know uh, personally yeah um but um he talked about he talked about this as as well and uh and my experience was was very much uh, like like his um so uh i know that wasn't everybody's experience and and i'm not primarily a performer so i didn't experience that kind of drying up i've always seen myself much more as a writer than a than a player so Talk to me about how this album feels. What what does this mean to have new material out and to kind of create this? Just I mean, just coming coming out of what we've lived through. What does it mean? Yeah. So it it it, it was a coincidence of timing because in the fall just before uh, COVID hit, um, I had decided that uh, my days of of um, only chasing freelance work were done, and I feel awfully privileged to be in that position and that i was going to on january 1st i was going to sit down at my desk and i was going to see what happened and i had no idea what was going to happen and i started writing um some jazz heads but uh going back to bands that were part of my formative years i don't know if you remember a band uh from the 80s called oregon yeah fabulous uh i don't even know what to call it, 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 it fusion i guess but um they had a big impact on me so i just I, I wrote a tune kind of in the style of oregon uh, uh, my take on it and and um 
I had no intention of recording. I had no intention, certainly no intention of putting out a record. And then a year later, I put out the first COVID record, my first COVID record. Yeah. Um, and then when that was done and I was wondering what I would do next, um, I really feel like all of us kind of gravitate at some point back to what we loved when we were 18 or 25. It's why we still listen to the Beatles. Yeah. And um, that for me was the music of Bill Evans, Ama Jamal, Early Miles. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, my my parents had a wonderful record record collection. Their music was the big band music of the 30s and 40s, but they also had some more contemporary, uh, you know, 1950s uh, stuff. And that's and that's where I heard all this first. Peterson, uh, Oscar Peterson, and then I was going to hear people like Sarah Vaughan and Betty Carter, and and um, that was kind of my music. Yeah. Um, and so when I decided. Uh, to to do another record and go back to my own roots. That's what you hear, for the most part. Uh, there are a couple of tunes that are outliers, but that's for the most part what you're hearing on this record is the music that I still hear most naturally for me. So, what are you ultimately hoping the listener gets from this album? Um, accessible beautifully performed music and i could say that because most of the performance was people other than me um um that's solidly in the jazz domain um uh and has a lot of heart behind it uh there are two tunes on there the first and last tune on the on the record are dedicated to friends who who are past and um so that i guess yeah yeah so how did this journey begin for you how did you get into the music more specifically jazz how did that happen but where you were born and raised too i'm uh born and raised in toronto okay and um i started listening to a lot of stuff other than the people i mentioned i was listening to chicago and blood sweat and tears but i really wanted to go hear concerts with their jazz stuff and they never played that stuff in concert they played all the rock and roll and it, yeah it's always hard for me but um uh i when when you've been writing other people's music for 35 years um it can it can be really tough to know who the hell you are and 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 what it is that you have to say and i have a a really good friend who just quit the rat race, moved out to the country, built a beautiful studio. And he told me, he sat down there on the first day and he had no idea who he was. And uh, so these two records are a chance for me to go back and find out who I am and what I care about. I always cared about the music that I wrote for other people, but very differently. Yeah. Uh, you go into a studio, was it a clean take? Did everybody get their stuff right? great let's move on on these records yeah we've played it five times and it's been perfect but it isn't music yet so let's do it again yeah and um i forget you what your question was but um uh that's that's kind of what i've returned to and it's been a wonderful experience yeah 
No, you got to the essence of what I was looking at. What was the first real true jazz show you saw that blew you away? I knew you were going to ask me that, and I thought about it, and I don't know. Yeah. Um, when I was in my late teens and early 20s, there were still piles of jazz clubs in Toronto. And we had this wonderful venue, uh, which was called Ontario Place. It was an outdoor venue in the round. The, the stage rotated as the artists were playing, and it was free. And I heard Peterson, Sarah Vaughan, Ella Fitzgerald, um, the Boss Brass, which, wow. which uh, I just, just love the Boss Brass. Yeah. Love the way that style of big band writing. And, um, and, and, and then in the clubs, I was going to hear Betty Carter, just my head exploded when I yeah. heard Betty Carter. Yeah. And, um, and those were the kinds of things and, and our own, um, uh, Mo Kaufman, yeah. uh, who was, a, who was a fixture in town. Yeah. So it would, it could have been any of those things. Sure. Uh, I, I, I really don't remember. Um, I think the most electrifying concert I ever went to was actually much later, Ahmed Jamal, who yeah. uh, he had he had had his minimal period in the 50s, kind of went maximum for yeah. a while. And, and as he was coming back to minimal, that's when I heard him. And it, it was just electrifying. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, you talk about doing all of these things for other artists and you you had a hard time figuring out who you were ultimately what did you figure out throughout that time because all of the things that you were doing led to you finding you what did you see in your evolution that was promising that was hopeful that made you feel like all right this is it i got it i'm doing my own thing i think it was something a little more general than that um I finally felt like I knew something. Finally felt like um, I had something to say, but more importantly, I knew how to say it. I had a certain amount of technique at, at, at my fingertips. I went, I went to school uh, as, as, as Jesse did, and, and I taught high school music in a, in a former lifetime. Um, uh, but I had, I had some tools I also knew what I didn't know, uh, which I think is really important. And um, there were people that I had worked with over the years whom I'd asked uh, to do things that were not necessarily what they would want to be doing. And one of the best examples, uh, singer Dave Blamires, who sang with Pat Metheny, um, he was a he was a jingle singer in town, and I I met him. A pile of years later and we had a beer on a dock and i apologized to him for all the crap that i made him sing when i was writing commercials <laughs> but but it was but i had these people that i had worked with in a in in different um settings and i just wanted to do something with them that was really what they do and as a way of just saying thank you and hear my little tunes, let's see what happens. And and uh, you know that I'm used to I'm used to scoring everything because that's what you do when you're writing for TV. And this was an opportunity for me to just pull back a little bit and take my hands off the reins 
and just see what happened. And and lots happened on this and the last record that I didn't expect. Some of it I didn't even like at first because it was so different than what I'd had in my head. Yeah. And um, and just that, you know, Jesse talked about vulnerability, the vulnerability of performing improvisatory music. When you walk into a studio as a composer and you're just giving folks chord symbols after the head's over, it's almost the same kind of thing. It's improvisatory. You have no idea what's going to happen. It's going to be your tune with your name on it. Um, so I, I share that that uh, feeling of vulnerability in that situation. So I'm curious, the one thing that's beautiful about the artist spirit and being a musician is the dreams that we have. You know, you, there's a dreamer spirit. What was the stage that you always dreamed you would be on? You finally got on it. It was just like, wow, I'm here. Or is there a stage that you, you want to play on someday? I had a very short-lived new age piano career in Japan and I played a concert in a place called Tokyo Opera City, which is the most beautiful hall I've ever been in on the best piano I ever touched in my life. But as I said before, I'm not, I don't really see myself as a performer. And unlike real performers, I don't need that as part of my musical experience. I consider yeah. myself a writer. So, when I think of what stage do I want to be on, I would think more of what recording stage I want to be on and who's going to be in front of me. Yeah. I've been at Abbey Road Studio too, up in the control room, not on the po at the podium. That was that was a treat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um but that's uh that's where I'm I'm really comfortable. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with video games. There's a indie an indie game called Cuphead. Yeah, yeah. Well, Cuphead, the music from Cuphead, I didn't write the music for that. I, I worked with the composer. I, I, I mentored him on writing for Big Band because it was all in a really wacky 1930s Big Band style. But I also conducted the recording sessions with some of the best musicians in this country because the music was so hard. And I, I love that role. I really yeah. like being in that role. But what's also interesting is, you know, you're 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 writing music for all of these things that people are consuming. Like jazz tends to be a, a, a medium where it's not major, it's not mainstream. There, there's niche audiences that go see it. But you're doing things that are getting mass appeal. How does that feel to be in that position to be able to produce something that's going to go to so many people? Now they may not know exactly who you are. Yeah. but they're tapping their foot to what you're making. How does all of that conglomeration feel for you? I wish I had an answer that, that, um, that perpetuated the mystique, but I don't. Yeah. Uh, there's a job that needs to be done when you walk into a studio and it has to be done within the hour or the day or whatever it is. And it has to be done to a certain quality. And um, a, uh, a session has to be timed and and, and um, uh, pace well i really think about the job at hand i think as soon as you start thinking about 
how many people might see this, I think you'd just freak yourself out and you're, it's a, it's a distraction. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of cool that I'm talking to you in Kansas city and, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm new in the jazz world. I'm not known in the jazz world. And there's a part of me that figures what, what the hell am I doing talking to this guy in Kansas city? Um, and I think, you know, that I, many of us share that, that, that kind of feeling. So I, you know what, I don't really think about it. I did a lot of work for the solitudes people, um, they they put out a a, a gazillion uh, nature effects and music records in the 90s 80s and 90s and i happened to know the folks who were doing it and i made 45 records for them collectively those records sold in the tens of millions of copies it never occurred to me to even think about that when i was doing it i just had i had to get the job done yeah yeah it, it's um but you know you put yourself into it you hope you're being honest and uh even if you're churning it out you, you try to yeah. make it have integrity so every day you wake up you're a creative you get to create something what is the best part of what you do what do you what do you look forward to the most Hmm. I think any day that I come away at the end of it thinking that I've done something that's uh, as good as I can do it, whatever that means, um, and that I haven't just skated on past experience, but that I've really tried to do something uh, that pushes me a bit, that's a good day. I love, I love the art of mixing. I It took me long time to mix this record because it's to me it's part of the creative process i can do a three-hour mix but that's a technical job yeah um i re i do enjoy that a lot a day that i get to the end of it and i don't want it back is a good day yeah it means i've done something that mattered yeah so why do you love jazz jazz to me is uh a really neat blend between uh, being a, a cerebral art, much in the way that classical music is, other formal or more formal uh, art forms, and and um, a joyful, emotional, expressive art. And the second part of that gets lost, I think, on people that don't have much experience with jazz. Because jazz isn't pop music, right? And um, they they it it can seem devoid of emotion to some people. It just sounds clever, uh, but when you start to get inside, you understand that it's it's not about being clever at all. It's um, there might be some jokes. You know, if you know the repertoire, you hear the little reference to some other tune, and it, yeah, that's that's really cool. But but it's a very emotional art, and I I think I what I like is that that blend of the cerebral, the technical, 
and the, and the beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. If everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, clients, everyone that you deal with, but you ultimately run it, you're in control. What's yeah. your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Uh, you know, I'm a little on the perfection perfectionist side of things. Uh, um, I like to talk. I'm sure you've already noticed that when I have something to say. But as a as a musician and a composer and and the guy that stands at the front of the room, I really would like to think that I'm respectful and grateful. Um, certainly, the people that played on on this record. Um, um, I, I, I think they, they get that from me that I, I, I really res I respect their art and I respect the fact that I may have called them in as a side man, but they are solo artists in their own right. And they, they need that space and they also need to be contained. And, um, um, I would hope that that comes across. I, I don't have, um, I hope I hope I don't have um, outsized um, an out an outsized op opinion of the profundity or otherwise of what I write. It's it's just what I hear. It's who I am, and, but that I'm doing it honestly and not in a um, in a derivative sort of way. Although this music is definitely of a time period I, and yeah. um but but i but it's not like i said i think i'll write an evans tune uh, it's just it's it's what i hear yeah. and so i hope that i hope that that comes through yeah so i had a dream last night that baseball started already and i was like wait the world series just ended so your album title is perfect right now yeah <laughs> that's great man it, it actually happened and it just that's hit great. me when i was thinking about it. i was like maybe i just knew we were going to talk and i expedited all the seasons in my brain because we're going through kind of a weird it feels like spring here it should yeah. be really cold everything should be in a kind of a thaw but it's kind of like the, the birds are making sounds like spring so it's really weird you know we've, we've orchestrated a scenario that's perfect for your album when and our discussion oh, right now <laughs> that's fantastic that's great hey, so if anyone wants to pick up the album best place to go anything about you and your world where can they go um uh, probably my website johnherberman.com um they can listen to the record it's up there to be listened to for nothing the second the other record is also up there um it it doubles as a um as a uh a screen composer site um they can uh, ask to buy the record if they want to. Uh, you know, we're in a very strange time because nobody has CD players anymore. No. If you're 25, you have a, 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 a turntable, but yeah. only if you're 25. Yeah. And so, so what do you do? Give people a link? That's no, that's no gift. There's no romanticism in that. None. Yeah. None. So you know what I do when I get all these CDs as a jazz radio guy? What's I that? give them out to kids at Halloween and they're like, what is this? And I'm like, just go home, 
and find a CD player, find somebody that has it. But I caught some people this year that are like, oh yeah, I, I play an instrument, I'm into it. And I was like, here, you need Oscar Peterson. And I'm just doling it out. So it's good. You know? Well, you know, that that's a great thing to do. I would probably add, and if you don't like it or can't find a CD player, your uh, your dad might be able to get it in, in his circular saw. It might Absolutely. go in there, and I don't know what'll happen. But it'll exactly, it, yeah. it, at least you can have some fun with it. That's right. <laughs> hey, man, this has been great, John. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your candor. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I really appreciate. Uh, I really, really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Toronto, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to John for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Jazz.